Let's see. Flonase. Afrin. Zyrtec. Singular. Eye drops. Sudafed. I am ready to rock and roll. It's time once again for the OP Radio Podcast. That's right. First day out of the house in uh, nine or ten days. I think I'm shouting because my uh, my ears are still clogged. My sinuses are aching. My teeth are aching. My eyes are watering. But I'm not sneezing right now. My eye, by the way, is half shut as well, so I had to take Benadryl last night. So now I'm a, a bit loopy from the Benadryl, but my eye is almost not swollen anymore. So, uh, man, these seasonal allergies will get the best of you. Yes, it's me, Opie, in the Westwood One Lounge, in the heart of Times Square, uh, getting ready to do a podcast with my friend Kevin Pollack, who just walked in. <laughs> What's up, Kevin? Hi, buddy. How are you, buddy? Come on. What, is this me over here? Yeah, I was just babbling to myself because I'm on um, so much allergy medication. Yeah. Do you uh, suffer from the seasonal allergies, my friend? I don't. Knock wood, knock wood, because it's only a matter of time, right? Well, aren't you Jewish? <laughs> so by DNA, I get yes, allergies? of course. I yes. think that's New York Jew, specifically. I'm a California Jew, which means I'm basically Catholic. Oh, okay. No, I. Um, it was always me and the Jews that sure. were suffering from the allergies. <laughs> yes. And l- look at all the stuff I got. Flonase. Afrin and there's no drops. nothing else you can do. Sierra, uh, I'm going to an allergist after this. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Because this is the first uh, day I've been out of my house, and well, that's not really true. But I've been suffering for the last ten days. I had to go to a funeral and a wake in Philly for my wife's uh, grandfather, and I was there with sunglasses, and there's just water pouring out of my eyes, sure. and, and everyone is comforting me. I'm like, no, I, I mean, I'm I'm sad. Don't get me wrong, I'm sad, but I'm not that sad. This I'm is not allergies. that sad. <laughs> right. That's what everyone is thinking at a funeral. <laughs> right. But you said it. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, <laughs> fantastic. But I think with funerals. When was the last time you were at a fu- funeral and you thought, I really am sad? Uh, Come let, on. Let me think. Yeah, right? Well, because most of them, I've been lucky there. They're a bit on the older side, so we celebrate, right? We yeah, celebrate their lives. Yeah, that's right. You had a good run. He had a good run. I'll tell you, Bob, uh, my friend Bob. Sure. Fraternity brother. There you go. Kind of couldn't stay away from uh, the alcohol and whatnot, and uh-huh. he died early from it. Although so, he died falling down the stairs. They found him at the bottom of the stairs. So I think we're past. <laughs> so that was the last time I was sat at a funeral as I left. I think we're past. He kind of couldn't stay away from the alcohol. Yes, of course. I think we commit to yeah. that difficulty. So I am going to an allergist after this. But the problem with my allergist. He has allergies. I, he has a, well, he, uh, I went to him. What's and, he going to do? Well, What's he going to do? I don't know. I think it's a racket. And, and, and this time of year for allergists, it, it's like... Uh, the boom. It, well, it, it, it's, it's, it's like their tax season. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's like their tax season. Everyone's they couldn't be happier. There. They couldn't be happier. And they're just no. writing you scripts and yeah. supposedly you could do this shot regiment. Uh, but by, by the time I start the shot regiment, then this goes away and I don't even think about allergies until the fall. Yeah. So I went to him, though, Kevin Pollack, my old friend. I can't believe this is how we started, but I'm really hyped up on uh, allergy medication. I went to him, yeah. he, and 
And we're, we're talking, I, I, I did the tray of needles. Have you ever had an allergy test? Uh, I, I think I did a long time ago because the tray of needles sounds familiar, but I was a kid. They take your forearm with the tray of needles and they, ham, you know, they, they hit you with it. And then whatever starts swelling, they go, oh, you're allergic to that. So I go, what am I allergic to? And he's like, cats, dogs, uh, stone fruits. Sure. Trees. Your better stone fruits. Yeah, like cherries. Okay. I had a cherry incident, if you want to hear about that. I don't. Over the summer. <laughs> we have so much to catch up on. I know. Can but... we table the cherry incident? <laughs> well, because I think you would enjoy it. All right. I I'm not saying I won't. It. Okay. Uh, so then I go to the allergist. I'm like, trees and grass. What do you mean trees and grass? Yeah. Which trees and grass? I need to know. He goes, you are allergic to trees and grass. What an asshole. Meaning all trees, all grass. Yeah. And then this is to answer your question. I'm like, well, what do we do about this? And then at that point, he's like, are you Opie from Opie and Anthony? Oh, boy. And then the rest of my visit there. He just saw a giant dollar sign on your face. No, he wanted to just know about the radio show. That's and right. Didn't, and didn't care about my allergies Yeah, kind of like I feel right now. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then yeah. uh, I yeah. took Benadryl last night because my right eye decided it needed to close at sure. that very moment from sneezing and, and the itchy eyes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and Benadryl will throw you for a loop, my friend. It's a big gallon of booze. Yes, it is. Yeah. It is, right? Yeah. Last time I took Benadryl is back to the cherry incident, and I swear then we're going to move on with a fine podcast with my friend. (laughs) My wife decides, you know, uh, family's up and all, and she decides to get the cherry cheesecake. Uh Uh-huh. And with apples. I'm allergic to apples, too. Sure. (laughs) Now, why would they put apples in a cherry cheesecake? No, explain this. Okay. This all makes sense. You know I'm a professional, okay? (laughs) Yeah, that that part I remember. I learned that I was allergic to apples. Okay. But I'm not allergic to apple pie. Okay. Because when you cook the apples, it changes up the proteins, and, and I'm no longer allergic to them. I thought the same with cherries. I figured they- You cooked the cherries? For the cheesecake, How right? How could it be? Thank you. Yeah, but so, they're not cooked. So I eat, I eat a giant a piece of uh, uh, cherry cheesecake, and within seconds, my lip is twice the size. I'm in full allergy attack mode, with, and this is the type of allergy that's going to send me to the hospital yeah. with the closed throat and all. I panic. I'm, I'm not really close to civilization. I'm out at uh, my, yeah. my beach house. Sure. So I take the kids' Benadryl. That's right. It's the children's, though, right? And I slam the whole thing in a panic. Like, I got to calm this allergy down immediately or I'm in deep trouble. It's not a bad move. <laughs> it's a good in move, right? In theory. <laughs> right. And then I didn't have to deal with my mother-in-law and my father-in-law anymore because I was like, night. <laughs> Somebody put Opie to bed. Right, exactly. Yeah. So with that, I say hi to my friend Kevin Pollack. How are you, buddy? <laughs> I feel so much healthier. Right? And of clear thought and mind yeah. after talking to you. Oh, good. Yeah. No, I'm a very healthy person. But, I know this. But every time I go to the doctor, like, yeah, you're, you know, your numbers are great, everything's great. But I suffered from these allergies forever, but I was one of seven kids. So we didn't go to the doctor a lot. So I, I didn't even know I had allergies until I was an adult. That's right. So You just thought you s- s- swelled up. For, for no apparent reason, from time to time. They said I might have asthma. That's right. That causes swelling and of the had, eyes and lips. <laughs> right. And we, had, and we had dogs our whole lives and sometimes oh, cats. And sure. I was always sneezing. And my mom didn't think maybe she should do something about Stop this. Stop being a pussy was probably uh, what right. they said. I talked to about this with my therapist yesterday, if you need to know. Did you talk about me at all with the therapist? No. How excited you were to see I'm me again? I'm very excited. Because <laughs> it just happened yesterday. Yes. All this happened pretty much in the last... I, I wasn't even sure I was going to be here today. 
Oh, because of the allergies. Yes. Sure. I'm not joking. This is the first day uh, out of the house. And I saw you're in New York City filming once yes. again, by, by the way. And I saw you were in my favorite place in New York, Central Park. That's my exercise. I'm a walker. Yeah. Uh, uh, running is not great for the knees. No. I was told early on and said, well, then I'll walk. <laughs> At a very fast pace, by the way. Yeah. I'm not a freak-looking fast walker. Like, uh-oh, this guy. Oh, you're not I'm hippie? not that guy. You're not hippie, right? W what's the hippie? No, hippie. Is that a... Oh, the hippie. Hippie. Yeah, with the hip problems. No. Oh, oh the hip uh, waddle. No, see, I was on track and the speed... That's what they called them? And the speed walkers... Were called hippies. ...turned out to be the gay guys later in life. <laughs> <laughs> I guess is my point. When we weren't allowed to really talk about gay, and now we are. Oh, yeah. Well, now it's too much. But too much talk about it. But as soon as the, some of these guys came out, we're like, oh, of course. Oh, yeah, because he was, he was the, the hippie guy the, with the, the speed walking. The fast walking hips. <laughs> yes. There's nothing wrong with any of that, by the way. God knows that. Um, so so <laughs> I, I what I call it is a paced up walk. Yeah. I wouldn't call it the guys w going around the track so fast they're going to be questioned. Okay. It's a paced up walk. Nice. I want to feel something. I want to sweat. And I want to waste an hour and a half. Because it's an hour and a half to get from uh, the apartment I'm staying at is sort of midtown on park. And then I get to the park pretty easy. Yeah. And I walk all the way to the reservoir, around the re But it's a great, incredible. It's beautiful, isn't yeah, it's it? It's gorgeous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so that's my treadmill. Right. You know what I mean? And uh, I'm pretty happy about it. And it clears your mind, too, obviously. Yes, because I'm listening to podcasts. Well, <laughs> that, I think maybe that's why I was nervous today. Uh-oh. Because I feel bad asking you to do a podcast. Oh, well, I because... Think, I think you described it on... A, jury uh, duty. Yes, yes. <laughs> In Los Angeles, yes. it's jury duty for sure. I don't know what it's like out here. But when a friend calls and asks you to do his podcast, that's... But, you know... <laughs> I was... Uh, you know, I'm I, a complete idiot because I finally ended my chat show podcast, but then I started an all-improvised comedy podcast I saw. immediately yeah. called Alchemy This, and I had to reach out to Dave Keckner to come by and do something on the on the show for, for Tuesday in L.A. Right. And then I got the old pangs again from the chat show, reaching out to somebody with that jury duty call. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's why- I, But this I, was long overdue. Well, I was brushing up on you a little bit, and you know, I want to make sure I- Is that necessary? A little bit. I took some notes. Oh, look, look at this. you with all the notes. Like I learned that you're going to be on Billions. I didn't know that, so I was glad I brushed up on it. Sure. And I, I, I learned that uh, you were basically- uh, You don't follow Billions, do you? Huh? You fo watch Billions? I watched the first season. I'm going to be completely honest with you. Sure. I loved it. And then what happened? I don't know. Life took over. Yes. Yeah. Well, I have two small kids. And 600 scripted shows. And there's just too much to watch out yeah. there. So it gets a little... Uh... My regular day job, the fact that the Maisel thing, the fact that we broke through the cacophony and noise yeah. of what's now 600 scripted shows is a lottery winner. Yeah. We, I, li I feel like we won the lottery. And, you know, as uh, a friend of yours from afar... Uh-huh. But then we get together, and, it, and it's like old times. When I saw that you got Maisel, yeah. I actually jumped up in the air for you. <laughs> no, I really did, because no, I'm like, pretty one exciting. for the good guys, Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. No, I mean that, Kevin Powell. Yeah, 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 thank you. Because you've always been good to me, man. Well, thanks. Always well, been good to me. Easy. It was easy to be good to you. Oh, thank you, yeah. sir. Why, why would you say that? Um, because, well, I mean... Because I feel like I should have stuck up for you a bit more. In what way? With when people Sam, went after me? With the Sam horse shit. Uh, I know because I think you were in the saddle of running a show and what was good for the show ultimately. That's one of the things I liked and respected about you was what's good for the show. That's what we're going to do. Yeah. I mean, 
that that that's how I conduct myself when I'm on a show. Right. You know. And so I, I kind of uh, appreciated that as much as I thought he was a weasel and a piece of shit. Yeah. Um, Which I uh, fully he, believe As now. it turns out, I might have been Nostradamus. Yeah, you were. <laughs> in the whole calling calling spade is Yeah, I'm thinking this guy might might be my friend. And it turns out he stabbed me in the back and is sitting in my seat. To, couldn't wait. Uh, couldn't wait no, to take the over. So talk about looking at you and seeing a, a dollar sign. Yeah. He, he, yeah. So anyways, yeah. So uh, that, that was just, you know, the whole thing sort of started harmlessly in the sense that he looks ridiculous. He sounds ridiculous. <laughs> he's a bit of an idiot, and um, and uh, so and like a puppy with big feet tripping over himself. Right. So I sort of went in there and thought, not necessarily let's pick on the weak kid, but this guy is at a microphone. This was when he was maybe a, a intern assistant. Yeah, or, he was an intern. Then we hired him. Right, right. So he was so low on the totem pole. He's standing at a mic. It felt natural to give him shit about it just right. because he's new guy. Of course. You know, toughen him up a little. Of course. And that's how it started. Yeah. And then it just went bananas. So in terms of you not sticking up for me, I didn't really need sticking up for. I mean, I didn't. No, I know you could stick up for yourself, but I just felt No, like but I mean, also, who gives I should, a shit? I should take care of the people that are good to me and, and, and good people Well, in we're general. doing that now. Well, I, I mean, I've learned that over the years is what I'm saying. So, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, but the Maisel thing is awesome, man. And it did break through. It is one of those shows that it's crazy. has a lot of eyes on it. It's, yeah, it's not. How did that come bananas. about? I, I don't know. We don't you know. You really don't know. No, I mean, when you read the script script you think well the upper west side jews will watch the show right you know what about the rest of the world oh we got a lot of jews up there too well it turns sure and you know what <laughs> it turns out they don't like saying hi no they don't no well What's they're that busy. about they're busy tell me what that's about kevin give I me don't... some inside info you know what's interesting i don't know a lot about new york jews i really don't when i say i'm a california jew practically catholic it's a joke but it's also the truth i can't relate very well to the culture of the New York Jew, because I, I don't know much about it. I yeah. really don't. So they seem more uh, uh, angry. They seem louder. Yes. In fact, what I'm playing on, Maisel, is a very loud Jew. And I've, I've never done this before. It's sort of crazy that uh, I've, I've made a career out of underplaying my performances yeah. to make them more believable and less showy, sure. right, as a focus, as a decision. <clears throat> and also, my, guy, my character on the show is a blowhard. He just talks. So, right. you know, I've been gainfully employed the last 30 years. But in that employment, if I'm in a movie with Tom Cruise and there's a seven-page scene, I'll say to Tom at the top of the seven pages, so what do you think we should do? Yeah. And then he talks for seven pages. And at the end of it, I say, all right, let's go. That's, that's been a, a career, by the way. I mean, I've done a few movies. I don't know the exact number, 91. But I will say that six of them are quite good. I thought it was 81. <laughs> It, was, it used to be 81. Oh, now we're up to 91? You're, I don't know. We're, we're in the 80s. Can I ask you- uh, Six of them are good. Can I ask you a question about true. Tom Cruise and, and all the very famous people you've been with? And obviously sure. you're famous in your own right. When Tom Cruise is like doing his thing in a movie or someone like Tom Cruise, is there any, is there ever a time in your head where you're going, oh my God, that's Tom Cruise. Oh my God, that's Tom Cruise. How about oh the whole God. time? The whole time, really? Well, I mean, look, I, I uh, wrote about it in the book- um, how I Slept My Way to the Middle, yeah, which is still not just a funny title and technically available on Amazon. But I wrote about <laughs> it a lot that when, when you're working with him in particular, there's no uh, pecking order. There's no pretense. There's no someone's acting like a movie star. Yeah. He is an enthusiastic uh, 
um, guy from the moment you meet him. But, you know, the tease of him for me was he's enthusiastic about everything and then enthusiastic about nothing. But the good news is it was all real. You know, you can kind of tell. After a certain point, you and I think we share this in common. Great bullshit meter. Tremendous yeah. bullshit meter. Yes. Because we had to sell ourselves first to get into this business, so we know what it means to be a salesperson. Right. And now we can smell it a, a foot away. Oh, yeah. Or a mile away. Oh, yeah. So day one, I talked a lot about uh, in rehearsal how, how Tom treated me like an equal, which, you know, was just being a pro, but it wasn't, it wasn't necessary. Right. I mean, I really, every, the first couple of days, every day, really, for the first couple of weeks, I expected someone to tap me on the shoulder and say, we've made a horrible mistake. <laughs> we met Kevin Klein. Can you just <laughs> right. come this way? Because everywhere I look, there's giant movie stars. And I was still in my head a comedian sure. who, who sort of fell ass backwards into acting in movies. So in him in particular, uh, a, a, just a great pro and a very generous guy. Denzel Washington. Uh, I did this movie with him, Ricochet. We play best friends in the movie. Mm -hmm. He is the only giant movie star of, that, of all the ones I've been fortunate enough to work with who, like, maybe four or five weeks before we started shooting, he calls me and says, uh, hey, it's Denzel Washington. We're playing best friends in this movie. And I thought maybe we should uh, go have dinner and get to know wow. each other before we start shooting. That hadn't happened before and hasn't happened since. So yeah. that, that was a... That was a real actor training. You know, he trained at ACT in San Francisco, where I'm from, and he's a real theater guy. Um, and also, this was 100 years ago. But so he reached out, and we had dinner, and and you know, we sat for three hours and told each other stories. So that was a, a big movie star sort of thing. That was kind of amazing. Yeah, no kidding. Um, and you're sitting at dinner, going, "I can't believe this is." Yeah. So happening. back to your question, when I'm on the set, it's I still get giddy. Yeah. I'll be honest with you, when I'm on the set of Maisel and I'm in a scene with Tony Shalhoub, who I love dearly, I'm thinking, there's TV's monk. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. And we've had, we've had a couple of um, guest stars in the show. It hasn't gone away. It hasn't diminished. Anytime I'm around some big movie star. So because uh, Maisel is winning all these awards, we're invited to all these award shows. Another great example, the last Golden Globes, um, the show finally had been on, so by the time we got to Golden Globes, yeah. people had seen it, whereas the first time we went to the Golden Globes and won, not a lot of people had seen the yeah, day. Yeah, which is Because it opened at the end of November and right. January, we're winning awards. Right, it was right. ridiculous. Now, I walk up back to our table, and there's James Bond talking to our lead actress, Rachel Brosnahan. Um, and they had done a play together on Broadway, but- to me, James Bond is standing at our table. Yeah, Daniel Craig and I. And I walked up to the two of them, just sort of <laughs> saddled up to them while they're talking, which is a, such a stupid, awkward thing to do. And what's the pretense <laughs> that I'm uh, just going to wait? I'm going to wait here till you guys are done, and then maybe James Bond will see me right. and react. Yeah. And she's Rachel's probably thinking, <laughs> I'm talking to Daniel. Maybe can you give us a minute? She didn't say that, but that's my thoughts. And so, sure enough. In the middle of the conversation, James Bond looks over to me, his eyes bulge, and he puts out his hand and, and says, uh, hey, I, I love the show. And so That's awesome. And all the whole time, I'm just thinking, I'm That's shaking James, James Bond. Bond. Yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah, that never goes away. Do you think th those people uh, know that they're still just human beings and normal people? Or? Well, that's the weird thing. It turns out they are just people. And they need to be reminded sometimes yeah. that they are famous. And the, But when you're that famous, 
people remind you all day long whether right. you want it or not. Right. Uh, so someone was telling me a story the other day. All right. About Bruce Willis. Okay. And uh, who's a pal? They. Oh, really? Long time, pal. Okay, then I'll shut up. No, no, no. <laughs> then I'll shut up. People take shots at him, so I'm kind of used to it. He was, he was, he was technically on my podcast because I was doing a podcast from a diner, and then he basically, you know, tr- told me to turn my thing off. Oh, really? Yeah, he, he didn't want to be involved because I, I, he just happened to be. He goes to the same diner I go to, and I just happened to be there doing a podcast with a friend of mine. And then all of a sudden, uh, I'm like trying to get him on the podcast. Sure. Why wouldn't you at that point? Barney Greengrass? He wasn't having uh, No, no. Somewhere on the uh, Upper West Side with the Jews. Oh, okay. The other story, I don't know if I want to tell then. But it, but it goes to the point of why we all do this, that we're looking for attention. And this, this, yes. this I was talking to a, a mom at my kid's school, and she goes on vacation at this certain location, and Bruce Willis is there, and he likes to spend uh, a few hours during the day walking around so people recognize him. That's not that bad, I guess. That's the story? That, well, that someone thinks he's well, doing I, that? I, I, I softened it up uh, a little bit because you're friends with him. Sure, sure. That's all. You don't have See to do that. See what I just did? But you don't have to do that. Look, because I'm not going to defend him. But I think I think anyone in the public eye does that. They they want that attention a little bit to a certain extent. Yes and no. Okay. Uh, after a lifetime of getting attention, I can't imagine that Bruce is walking around <laughs> hoping people recognize him. I that's guess what, it's possible, but I can't imagine. That's what she said. Sure, sure. Well, this, now we're getting this from a third party. But maybe that's her way of trying to feel like, look what I know. Yep. Right? Yep. Okay. Yep, yep, yep. I, I will say this, you know, people's perception uh, is very personalized normally, Yeah. right? So I used to, right before my book came out, I wrote the story about Michael Clark Duncan, and I think I told you the story. Um, and so he died like six weeks before the book was going to come out. And Great the publisher, guy, by the way. publisher called me and said, do you want to keep the story in your book? Right. He, he just passed, and I said, you don't get a pass for dying. Right. Because my experience with him was uh, not such a great guy. And oh, one really? night, one night, I guess I haven't told you this story. One night in particular, he was maybe the, the biggest prick I've, I've experienced on the set of a film. And, uh, and it, it ends up being a funny story. So that's why I put it in the book because yeah. it was funny. Tell the story, please. Okay. Because I don't think I heard it. And, and I, I had him on my show a couple times over the years, and he was just very nice in that He can be the most setting. respectful. Big smile. Big smile, yeah, yeah. wonderful guy. That was the public perception, and okay. it was my perception, too. Okay. So uh, you're familiar with the term per diem. Sure. I know you're a big uh, uh, Bible guy, so I'm sure the <laughs> words per diem are in there somewhere. Are you taking a shot? Because I'm more spiritual than uh, religious, my friend. No, I loved your post about uh, which what, one. <laughs> I just started following you on uh, on Instagram on the in the ride here. <laughs> so, well, that's, Truly, that's because I followed you on two hours. Yeah, exactly. Ago. That's what I saw. So you were that's at. That's why I know about Central Park. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> some I church. To follow my friend Kevin Pollock. You were at some church on Easter with a giant uh, hanging Jesus. Yes. In a beautiful. St- where was that church? That's on the Upper West Side with the Jews. Stunning. The Jews hate that place. They hate that place. You're starting to mention the Jews a little too much. So uh, <laughs> Because of Maisel, though. Because you're surrounded by them. Yeah. But anyways, it was a very dramatic uh, Picture. photo that you got there. Beautiful. And um, so that's what may had, had put it in my brain that I should take a shot with the per diem. Oh, really? Okay. Bi- Bible stuff. I don't go to church a lot. And I, I'll be honest, that was Easter. And it kind of made me mad because I, I was I was brought up Catholic, uh, organized religion and stuff, and then 
kind of like got, got away from it a little bit and uh over the last i don't know at least 10 12 years i became more spiritual and meditating and studying religion in general sure and i'm starting to go back to church a little bit and i go uh to easter sunday mass with my family we're in the second row it was an amazing service with the flowers and the, it was awesome i loved it to the point i'm like man maybe i should start doing this a little more right then the head priest that wasn't part of that ceremony decided it was a full house because of easter so he wanted some time in front of everybody he had to do a little performance yeah a little performance and he and he's telling jokes like he's a stand-up no, by the way kevin no, no, i'm no, sure no. you love when when that happens and he was some of the jokes were funny and stuff but then he got real serious and he said uh, i see we have a full house today and that's really nice and all but it, it doesn't mean anything basically if you're not coming to church every sunday it's a sin and i'm like i'm out again good night good night i'll see you maybe uh for christmas mm-hmm. like instead of it instead of a really celebration that you're all there and you're going wow this is really nice and hoping maybe some of us will come back next sunday he had to make it he basically said it was a waste of time <laughs> It was a waste of time because you're not going every Sunday. And yeah. I'm like, I, you know what? Yeah. That's what drives me nuts about Not it. a great salesman. Right. No, not at all. <laughs> no. So, uh, but getting back to Maisel and the Jews in a good way, sorry. How, how did you prepare for that uh, character then? Having never been a loud, obnoxious Jew? Yeah. Cause no, seriously. Said, so I, uh, and I'll, and I will get back to the Michael Clark Duncan thing. Oh, Don't yes. let me forget. No, no, no. So, um, I did one of the first things I ever did as an actor was this Barry Levinson movie called Avalon, and it was the third Baltimore set film they did, Diner, Tin Men, and then Avalon. And um, in that movie, you may remember a loud Jew yelling, "You cut the turkey without me, we yeah. leave." That was a big thing for anyone who saw the movie. His, that actor's name is Lou Jacoby, yeah, and he's also the guy in the commercial who says, "I can't believe I ate the, the whole, whole thing." thing so right. he'd be, he was a very famous Jew actor, yeah, uh, in his day. And, and I got to interrupt you again. Please I apologize. That's m- one of my uh, brother's favorite lines from a movie. And every Thanksgiving, he, he cuts the say turkey. That. So how me? weird is that? <laughs> <laughs> well, that whether you know the movie how or not, you know that line. Yes, of course. Continue, so, sorry. so when that's all right. So when I got when I read the first of all, they did the pilot of of the marvelous Mrs. Maisel, or as my dear friend Bobby Slayton calls it, the amazing Mrs. Matza. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he uh, so they they shot the pilot and the thing Amazon does is they put the pilot on, up on Amazon and people watch it and they weigh in on just whether they like it or not and that's their pilot system. So they put it up, people went bananas and they ordered two seasons, which they'd never done before. Usually it's just one season. Yeah, they ordered two seasons from pilot and then the creators of the show realized, oh shit, we don't have in laws to the male lead. Mike Zegan is the actor's name, uh, plays the husband. So I get a call from the show's creators, Sher- uh, Amy Sherman Palladino and Dan Palladino, and they say, do you want to come uh, do this show? And so I watch the pilot, and I, I love it instantly. And then I read this. Uh, first of all, I say yes, just because the pilot's so amazing, and they're so amazing. Yeah. Whatever they have in mind for this character sounds good to me, because I don't think they had scripts written at that point. Right. But when I started seeing the script, I realized, oh, no, this guy's a blowhard. And they ex- explained he's from the garment district, he's a self-made man, and he's very big and loud. And so I remembered Lou Jacoby from working on Avalon and what a scene stealer he was. And I thought, okay, finally I'm going to be like a scene stealer. I'm going to come in and yell for a couple scenes and then go home, Yeah, which is basically what I do for a living now uh, <laughs> with the show. And so I'm getting all this attention for – you know, being being this loud, obnoxious guy, 
And as I said about the seven pages, normally with the, I say to the big star, what do you think we should do? And they yeah. Talk. Now my guy talks for seven pages. He doesn't listen. He's just a blowhard. He talks all the way through people. And uh, while it's the most uh, challenging work I've ever done, because I didn't do theater, I, I did stand-up instead. And so the idea of memorizing, you know, when people see you in a television show or a movie, you're not memorizing the whole thing to no. perform it in one. Little tiny pieces. What's the next day's work? I better work on those scenes the night before. That kind of becomes the thing. Uh, in the theater, you got to know the whole thing. So I just never experienced that before. So the way they shoot the show, a lot of times, are seven, eight-page oneers, which means no coverage, which means the steady cam is moving and there's wow. 11 moving parts. And if you watch the show, it's like that great scene uh, in Goodfellas when they sit down sure. at the Copa, right? And a lot of other filmmakers have done this, but it's kind of become a signature of Maisel. And uh, Amy Sherman Palladino, when she directs in particular, she loves the oneer. So when you're involved in an eight-page oneer, and you're memorizing eight pages, and my guy's talking the whole fucking time. Uh, it was very new to me, so that's why I meant by the most challenging. But it's also sort of become the most rewarding. Uh, and then I got this offer to do uh, a few episodes of the show Billions that you mentioned. And that guy, again, is very underplayed, and I'm right back to my old form, <laughs> which is very relaxed and very enjoyable. Very easy. Very easy. Right. And people are yelling at me on Twitter how great, uh, the sh how much they love seeing me on Billions, and I'm thinking, I didn't do anything. Yeah. Once again, I kind of threw it all away. Oh, that's awesome. So, uh, and then there's this other show, Pamela Adlon show, Better Things on FX. Well, my wife goes, you better mention that because okay. she, she's into it. And, and I've, I've seen you on that a little bit, but yeah. I'm not really watching that show. Yeah. Uh, and, and she says- It's a mother with three daughters, yeah, yeah. so I get why your wife would love it. But she says that uh, you're great on it, so. So I play her obnoxious brother yes. on the show who does a couple episodes. And um, so, uh, but Better Things is running at the same time as Billions. And Timmy, I, I was in the off season from Maisel. We just went back to work a couple weeks ago. When all this attention started coming from those two shows, and I thought, so there's no off-season this year. This is great. But that, but you must be enjoying the hell out of it. Absolutely. I mean, Absolutely. No, listen. All I had to do was turn 60, and there's been a resurgence. <laughs> well, there's been a resurgence that I did not see coming. Well, yes. that's the point, because you've yep. been at this uh, well over 30 years, and, yep. and out of nowhere, now you're I on know. another climb up, which it's got to be exciting. It's It also is exciting, I think you can appreciate, because... Uh, you're finally at an age where you can appreciate it. Right. Right. You're not um, thinking about the next thing. You're not uh, building anything. You're just actually present Yeah. Uh, for the work as you're doing it. And are you yeah. noticing, like, people are coming around you a little more than usual sure. because your star is sure. rising again? Yes. Your star is always up there, Kevin. I want to make well, I sure was, you know that. But I now was it's the sort of perennial, the, the veteran. Yeah. But again, not the scene stealer, not pulling focus, right? Yeah. One of those guys where... Which is why the name of the book is How I Slept My Way to the Middle. Yeah. But my better have Jamie. I'm sure she says hello. I haven't talked to her yet today. But because uh, she's in L.A. sleeping. But, um, you know, she she's had to deal with this level of fame, which is annoying still to someone not in show business. Yeah. Because people are constantly like <laughs> we were at the airport once. <laughs> And uh, that's where the you know the great unwashed is at the airport, so I, <laughs> or the public. So I go into the restroom, and while I'm in there, some guy runs up to her and says, "What's that thing I saw your husband in?" 
And she's and she's been with me enough times where people aren't quite sure what it is they've seen me right. in, and they ask me what the thing is that they <laughs> saw me in. Right. And it took a while to enjoy it. Yeah. In, instead of feeling accosted, and now I just say, uh, I wasn't there with you when you saw it, so I don't know which one it was. Well, and and also. If you play into the game and start naming the most popular things, they go, no, that's not it. Exactly. No, no, that's not And then they get angry with you. No, that's not it. Oh, come on. You know the thing. So that's what happened when I'm in the shitter. This guy's yelling at her, what's that thing I saw him in? And she starts naming the things and he's yelling at her, no, no. And I come out of the bathroom and see this guy yelling at So it was horrible. That's funny. But it's all a big joke. And so, so yeah, so gamefully employed all these years. But, uh, you know, as a character actor, right. utility guy, right? right? Like in A Few Good Men, when we were <laughs> – Rob, at one point early on, Rob Reiner pulled me aside and said, look, Nicholson's going to hit a grand slam when he shows up. That's just who he is. Which means Tom's going to be swinging for the fences to try to keep up with Jack, right? Demi is going to be swinging even harder because she's got to keep up with those two knuckleheads. I need you to basically hit one into the gap, maybe bring home one run. <laughs> You know what I mean? Said that to you. Absolutely. Which it, it crystallized that it, my character is sort of the conscience, the char- as written yeah. of, of the story, but also I could underplay it. I didn't need to be. There was no reason for this guy to be big, sure. bigger than life, right? Uh, and so that that. Well, you were pitch perfect in that movie. I'm going to jump in. And also, <laughs> him saying that to you probably relaxed you it because did. you're in front of all these. That's exactly they right. They were major stars at the time. They still are. Yeah, but also extent, Kiefer but, Sutherland. Yeah, it's all these yeah. other people, you know, Kevin Bacon. You know, everyone's a star in this movie. And, and you fit right in with all those guys. As, and, as it turns out. And how weird is it? I think, I think this is correct. I think that movie is now 25 years old. A Few Good Men, right? 1992. 92. So we're looking at oh, 92. So yeah. 27. It's over 25 now. Yeah. Crazy. That's in, that's it's a quick bananas. 25, right? That's bananas. <laughs> bananas. Yeah. Is that uh, your favorite movie you've ever been in? Um, yeah, I mean, it's an easy yes because it's one of those movies you kind of watch. I don't think it's an easy No yes. matter where you jump in. But Casino. I was going to say Casino, Scorsese, Grumpy Old Man, yeah, Usual it, Suspects. Uh, yeah, there's been a couple of... Uh, AFI top 100s. Right. Like I said, no matter what the number is, 82, 86, or 91, <laughs> there, there's six great ones. Yeah. You know, and you're lucky to get one great one. So, I, yeah. yeah. Did you know if uh, any of those were going to be great ones? Just the A Few Good Men because of the, the, the play had already had a 500 performance run. And Rob Reiner, if you think look at his career uh, as a director – I don't remember where in the first seven films that was, but his first seven films, you know, and this will be out of order, so listeners don't go crazy. Uh, Spinal Tap, Princess Bride, Harry Met Sally, Misery, A Few Good Men. uh, I'm forgetting stuff. But you know what I mean? Everyone different than Stand By Me. Right. Each a different genre and each hit Way the fuck out of the park. Yeah. The guy was on fire. That was a hell of a run. Yeah. So we we fell into that run. So you got a great filmmaker. You got giant movie stars. And this script was a Broadway play sensation from a first-time writer. Yeah. See, yeah, you, get, you know, it's going to be disappointing if it's not great. Right. Is what it, whereas Suspects, written by a 25-year-old, directed by a 25-year-old, no starring budget, nobody right? famous. Yeah. Uh, and no budget. Yeah, no, we got paid coffee and donuts. And uh, you were just doing that movie going like, ah. My agent had I that. Enjoy, I like the role. I'll just do this. No, and- my agent 
uh, hounded me for weeks to read the script, and I didn't want to read it. No kidding. Well, so 1992, A Few Good Men comes out, and I go from auditioning to getting offers, right? That's a big, that's crossing the goal line yeah. at the Super Bowl uh, for any actor. You can't believe you're getting offers. It just blows your mind. Uh, consequently, I was a girl who couldn't say no in the 90s and did about 40 movies. <laughs> <laughs> it happened. Six of one are good. So, so uh, well, because they came from stand-up, right? And yeah. stand-up, when they say you got some stage time, you take it. Of course. You don't ask who else is in it. No. You just go. Yeah, of So course. that's the world I came from. That makes from. sense. So when those offers came in, you know, uh, so in 1994, when The Usual Suspects was going to be... Uh, filmed you know my agent would call and we'd get on the phone and we'd go over not a big stack of scripts but a small stack of scripts and offers at that time and we would talk about each one one at a time so he would come to or you got to read the script of uh, uh, usual suspects and i would say well okay great who uh, who wrote it you never heard of him he's 25 terrific who's directing it you never heard of him he's 25 okay why are we talking about this well, because I read it, it's, it's the script's unbelievable. You're not gonna, you're gonna blow your mind. Yeah, but who, who else is in it? Yeah. Uh, Kevin Spacey's in the lead. Well, 1994, uh, Kevin Spacey had done a few supporting roles. No one was uh, banking a film on him as a lead actor. Right. It wasn't happening. Not yet. Uh, right, of course. And Gabriel Byrne was probably the biggest name, but he was only known for Miller's Crossing which wasn't a huge success. It was a brilliant movie that I loved and a lot of people loved, but it wasn't a big box office. So there was no one famous in the movie, right? But you had Stephen Baldwin. Hey, well, that's actually the litmus <laughs> test. That's the litmus test. You're not wrong. I love that joke because when people ask me, did you know Usual Suspects was going to be great? Right. I, I say it is the very definition of lightning in a bottle. And if you need further proof, that that film was lightning in a bottle. You needn't look any further than the fact that Stephen Baldwin's great in the film. Yeah. And then when I first <laughs> met Stephen, when I first met him, he was wearing leather pants. Did I tell you that? No. He hadn't arrived on a horse or a motorcycle. He was just wearing leather pants. Wow. Yes. That's a tough look to pull off it unless you're Jim Morrison. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I think Jim Morrison's the only one that can I know. pull that off. And I said, oh. I tried. Did I, you? I, I went through a, a, a had, tiny stage. I tried. I had white leather pants. I a, man, yeah. I looked when like When I was 26 fool. years old. <laughs> You got to give it a shot. You got to see if you can pull it off. Because I think we all grew up loving the Doors. I'm exactly. Like, I think I could look like Jim Morrison yeah. in leather pants. I was an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> I was well, an idiot. A lot more people were wearing them then true. than than true, are going to try true. it now. Anyway, so my agent kept. You got to read this. You got to. And I said, Well, you're telling me a 25 year old wrote it. A 25 year old is going to direct it. It stars nobody famous. And at that point, you know, after a few good men, I wasn't being careful. I just wanted to be associated. With the best, yeah. Who are the be who's the best writer, the best director, the best co-stars that we've got on the table of three or four offers, whatever the hell it was. So he kept c circling back. Have you read it yet? No, I will. I promise. And after a couple of weeks, uh, and I really liked my agent, so I said, okay, you know what? I'm going to read it just to shut you up. Your opinion means a lot to me. I'll do this for you. I can't imagine this is going to be other than what you're saying yeah. about it. And by page five, I stopped reading and picked up the phone and called him and said, I want to do this movie. Wow. That's page five. Awesome. Page five. Yeah, you know. You know pretty early yeah. on any script if it's shit or interesting. Right. Opie Radio. Hi, everybody. It's your pal Opie, and I'm talking about my toothbrush. Oh, yeah. I have to talk about Quip still. People don't understand how cool Quip is. My gay. From day one, you've been loving them. 
Uh, well, no. See, from uh, from before day one, I got equipped before I even knew they were going to advertise with the Opie Radio podcast. So how cool is that? Because I was so sick of my electric toothbrush because it was like had all these things with it, man, like cords and such. And Quip was just a beautiful design as a glass tube that the ladies love for other things. And then it has like a AAA battery and that's how you charge the thing. So it's compact and stylish, man. And then it has the pulsating thing. Every 30 seconds it says, hey, why don't you move that toothbrush to another part of your mouth, son? And I said, all right, I think I'll do that. And after two minutes, if you cut the 30 seconds into four parts, that's four parts of your mouth. You got a cleaner, fresher mouth, man. How's that for a read for Quip? I know my shit. So anyway, I love my quip, and that's for sure. And uh, what else do I need to say, man? I think I said it all, right, Mike? Everything. I talked. uh, Let me see if I talked about everything I need to. Sensitive sonic vibrations. Yeah. Yeah, I think I talked about that. It doesn't just grind away your gums like other electric toothbrushes. You know what I'm saying? It's nice. Built-in two-minute timer pulses. I did that. Uh, The multi-use cover. I love that they say multi-use cover. What would that mean, Mike? One is the the glass tube that covers up the toothbrush so you can throw it in your luggage when you go away, right? What else would you use the multi-use cover for, Mikey? These people at Quip are smart. They know the ladies are always looking for a little (laughs) something-something. You really got to see the glass... uh, uh, the glass tube to to fully understand what I'm talking about here. I love Quip. I really do. And then the brush heads are automatically delivered. Okay, yeah, I forgot about this. This is what I like about Quip, too. Because most of us just uh, never change our brush heads on our electric toothbrushes. Or if you have just a regular toothbrush, you never go out and you know buy a new one. You just keep using it until it, it, literally it's useless. Uh, Quip understands that. So I think it's like every, uh, help me out, Mike. I think it's like every three months, something like that. All of a sudden, a little package comes in the mail with a new brush head. So you get rid of the old brush head. And it also gives you a nice little AAA battery because they're like, you know what? About now, your battery's done. So you change the battery. And then also, uh, what? oh, and then they give you a little thing of toothpaste. No, they give you two things of toothpaste every time. A regular size and a travel size. I love Quip, for real, man. They figured it all out. Uh, that's why I love Quip and why over 1 million happy, healthy mouths do too. Quip starts at just $25. And if you go to getquip.com slash Opie right now, you can get the first refill pack for free. That's your first refill pack free at getquip.com. That's G-E-T-Q-U-I-P.com slash Opie. Getquip.com slash Opie. Paid for by National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, NHTSA is working hard to combat texting while driving. It can be a little frustrating, especially if you're in a hurry or running late, to find yourself at a railway crossing waiting for a train. And if the signals are going and the train's not even there yet, you can feel a bit tempted to try and sneak across the tracks. Well, don't ever. Trains are often going a lot faster than you expect them to be, and they can't stop. Even if the engineer hits the brakes right away, it could take a train over a mile to stop. By that time, what used to be your car is just a crushed hunk of metal, and what used to be you, well, better not think about that. 
The point is you can't know how quickly the train will arrive. The train can't stop even if it sees you. The result is disaster. If the signals are on, the train is on its way. And you just need to remember one thing. Stop. Trains can't. You guys don't have a fucking leg to stand on. You think so, tough guy? I could put you in Queens on the night of the hijacking. Really? I live in Queens. Did you put that together yourself, Einstein? What, you got a team of monkeys working around the clock on this? Opie Radio. I was going to ask you about Usual Suspects in another way. So, with the surprise ending, you think a movie like that could be made nowadays? With the internet? Yeah. And with, well, with all the assholes out here's there that the have to spoil everything. Here's the reason why I think it's possible. Yeah. Um, there are a few spoilers in the end game. One in particular, the the new Marvel movie. One in particular that uh, Jamie and I are friends with Paul Rudd. So, of course, the only Jew superhero. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, you pronounce it Ant-Man. <laughs> Very good. So, so we went to the big highfalutin premiere. Yeah. And um, one of the things I was talking to him about it at the after party was he was shocked that they kept the surprise about the way Thor looks. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've heard. I have not. It's very specific. I won't give it away now. But there's a very specific thing. And uh, it's big funny. It's a big, big funny. Yeah. And um, he was shocked that they had, with the internet, with your question, how did this thing not get revealed? Right. So based on that, I think it is possible. But you're right. People seem to be, especially with Reddit, and the, a couple of other outlets. I think, uh, but I think uh, also a lot of people nowadays are also smart enough to go, I'm going to see this movie immediately before someone does spoil it for me. So, so Yes, Game of Thrones uh, had to be watched Sunday if you're a Game of Thrones right. person. You couldn't wait. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get into that show soon. Whatever. No, I'm one of those I mean, guys. I, I, I'm one of those guys. I, I didn't see Game of Thrones. I'm, I feel like I'm out for the first time because everyone talks about it. Well, you know. I saw scenes like when they, when the, the guy was having sex with his sister, and, <laughs> and I know the dragon thing, and uh, and and you know Peter, yeah, being yeah. A, a little person is terrific. That's all I know. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I don't think that's I'm that kind far of behind. The, well, look, it's kind of the highlights for me. <laughs> okay, okay, the dragons are amazing. Just to see the 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 CGI work they've done on these dragons is yeah. is just cool. From a kid who wanted to see dragons uh, right. in a movie, but. I'll be honest, my opinion from the beginning was, wait, who are these people? Right. Who are they? Which ones are they? I can't remember the names. I can't remember the 17 storylines. Yeah. There are probably four storylines I give a shit about. Right. So every episode I've ever watched has been almost like the very first season of SNL. If you go back and watch that season that exploded across America and created an entire universe. Yeah. Uh, they were 90 minutes back then, and if you, I guess they are still 90 minutes. But if you watch, I was thinking about the Tonight Show went from 90 to an hour. But if you watch those early, that first season, about 27% of it is great. 100% correct. Right? Because I went back too. Yeah. 100% correct. I'm like, wow, I remember this being way better than this. <laughs> yes. But then you wonder if it was funnier because of when you're living through that time. Yes. And maybe it just doesn't hold up, as it people like not, to say. It does not hold up. Yeah, man. Yeah. But you are right. There were a lot of shitty uh, sketches. Yeah. And, so and I then, feel that way about Game of Thrones. Okay. And 27% of it keeps my interest. But don't they have a language, too, they made up? I'm, I don't no, know. only a couple. Only oh, a couple okay. of characters. All right, good. It's not quite as bad as Klingons. Yeah. So- um, 
but usual suspects could be made today, and that and that was. Uh, I think I think a surprise ending can absolutely happen. Yeah, yeah, sure. Have you ever um, said no to a movie? Yeah, a, a real no. I know you've said no to movies, I, but not many. But yeah, but one where you're like, <laughs> where you literally cry about it because it became so huge. Um, no, uh, no. I mean. Uh, Michael Douglas's father, who I can't believe is still alive, I think 101, Amazing. Kirk Douglas, I heard him in an interview years ago put it kind of perfectly because every, every actor at some point has to think about this, you know, your regrets of what you said no to and what you said yes to. <laughs> yeah. He said, if I had said yes to every movie I said no to and I said no to every movie I said yes to, you know where I'd be right now? And the interviewer said nowhere and he said Probably right where I am. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, I mean, it does kind of sum it up. So for me, there were no great opportunities that I said no to. There were a couple of TV, will you star in this thing um, during the early 90s when my movie career was taken off, even still taking off as a character actor, but offers were coming. Yeah. And there were a couple of TV offers that went on to be very successful shows. And um as a 60-year-old, I look back at the nine-year run and what that money would have meant when right. I was 30. Uh, sure. Yeah. For, but, but it's nice to know that at the time, I wasn't an idiot who said no. Right. I, I had a reason. You know what I mean? I wasn't um, gotcha. trying to feel special. Or right, anything. right. I was going where the, where the interests were. I, um, I had Michael Madsen on once. Love Michael Madsen. I, I love him too. But and everyone knows he's crazy. Yeah, and we had a great time. He's with harmless, him. But, beautifully crazy. But uh, yeah, he started calling me a lot. <laughs> we, we exchanged numbers, and I, I got uncomfortable. You it got was, you got the three a.m. You got on the three a.m. call list uh, for a, for a little bit there. And yeah, he's like yeah, you know, I really like doing your show. I want to do more. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe we can figure something. Out. I'm like you're Michael. And you don't need me, but anyway, he wanted then, to be like a regular. Yeah, uh, and then I stopped returning his calls, and it kind of went away. But uh -huh. one of the but he still listens. I don't know. This is years ago, to be honest with you. But the one time I'm sitting with Michael Madsen on the radio show, and uh, we asked him pretty much that question I gave you, and he goes, uh, "Give me a list of my movies, right?" So we we put the list of movies on the computer. He told us why he made every movie, and I was blown away because being just a movie watcher and a fan of you guys, I'm thinking. You take every role seriously, like, man, should I do this? And you're thinking about the craft and the art of movie making. Yeah. He's like, oh, yeah, I was going through a divorce, so I had to take that movie. Yeah, I had to yeah. pay my mortgage, so I had to take oh. that. I knew that was a piece of shit, but I owed a bookie money. Yeah. <laughs> he went through his whole thing, and we just were I think most there. actors could do that if, if they wanted but he, to. But it was so refreshing because he was the first guy that openly admitted, like, I don't— you know, some of my roles I take very seriously. Other times, I, yeah. I knew these producers and people were desperate to have me, and I knew I needed to pay some bills. So I'm like, I knew the movie wasn't going to work, but I, I did it to you know make the cash. Sure. And I thought that was amazing. Yeah. I think it's amazing. I, it'd be also a, a crazy great radio or just refreshing in general if everyone came clean like that. Yes. I will come clean simply by saying acting on a on a level that is recognized by the public, movies or TV. It, it's the one bizarro uh, business, career, job, to me, that you're not allowed to just work. Like, if you're in construction, you work. If you're an architect, you're judged by the artistic value of some of your work. Yeah. Right? Uh, the actor, everyone wants to know, why did you work? 
And the truth is, as I put it, sometimes you just got to make the donuts. Yeah. Because that's your job. Right. And you do have a mortgage. Yeah. Or, or an alimony payment or whatever those bills are. So the more money you make, yeah, your your monthly nut becomes at a level right. where not only Michael Matson is doing movies to cover the annual nut. Yeah. Every one of us. Right. Sure. So, but it is the one weird profession where the public at large is allowed to come up to you and say, why did you do this job? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It's kind of fucked up in that way yeah. that, that most other em- jobs, right. job descriptions do not right. involve the public scrutinizing right. what the fuck you were thinking when you took that job. Yeah. I was thinking I hadn't worked in seven yeah. months. That's like going up to a plumber. Why did yeah. you, you do my neighbor's plumbing? <laughs> exactly. Why would you do that? I, exactly. You're in my mindset now. Exactly. So. It is a bizarre byproduct of the job. You have to question yeah. the value of every decision you make, and that's bullshit. I, I have another movie question that I've always wondered about. So, a okay. few good men. These really big over-the-top movies that you've been in yeah you obviously become family uh filming these things and, and in the old days the movies uh, used to take a lot longer to films right i remember sometimes you yeah, guys would movie, be on set for like a year some movies still are very rarely that movie sped up men the process was about three four months three or four months so the last day are you guys extremely sad that you're now like yeah at- and we share that those memories throughout life every That's now what and, i was gonna ask every you. now and then i will text Tom Cruise or he will text me. That does happen. And it's like, and this is, I don't mean any disrespect to people who actually did share a foxhole in Vietnam, but it's yeah. like, it's as if you did that. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and so you're connected by. And what kind of text message would uh, Tom Cruise send you in that regard? Um, Just a, hey, Great job on X. Yeah. Oh, oh a, a project you're doing now. Yeah. Oh, okay. I, I was wondering if he's going down memory lane. Uh, no, uh, but. He just feels like I still have a connection with this guy. Yeah, and, and when I run into him at anything, he uh, it's as if we worked together six months ago. Wow. Oh, for sure. That's for awesome. Sure. Yeah, uh, and, and that's true of, of, of most jobs where you're in the trenches for a yeah. goodly amount of time. Yeah. Because you do work 12 hours a day by union rules, at least 12 hours. I've said it before, 11 of those 12 hours, you're sitting on your ass in the trailer. You're not mm-hmm. really working. The crew is working 12 hours. The actors, if you ever hear an actor complain, never stop, yeah. never stop slapping them. Uh, but you are there 12 hours every day. So you're away from your family for 12 of the 17, 18 hours you're awake right. every day. If that's five days a week, just think about the numbers of that in terms of who you're with, these people who you're not with, your yeah. family. And if you're away on location, then it really becomes isolated because now you're going to dinners together at night. You're going to the movies over the weekend. to get. You're really hanging, like summer camp. Yeah. Um, the Maisel program, if you're caught up last season, we went to the Catskills. So we went to Scott Family Resort about three hours north right. of the city. And we were all staying there, the crew, the cast. We were there for a couple of weeks. That's it awesome. It was our own summer camp. Right. It was great. It did, was great. Did he go canoeing and stuff? Uh, let's see. Old Jew, canoeing. <laughs> I don't remember canoeing. Did he pass Kutcher's up there? I used to go to basketball camp in uh, Kutcher's. No, but a the few. Catskills. Uh, several people commented about Kutcher's, yeah. That, I, that was the one of uh, the moments of my life. I I grew up being a, a huge basketball uh, player slash, you know, fan. Sure. More fan because, 
You know, I played in college a little bit, but, you know, I, I didn't I, – I was convinced I was going to be in the NBA. I was one of those guys. I was a gym rat, went to all the basketball camps, blah, blah, blah. Pete Maravich was my hero. Pete Maravich, your best. And to this day is my hero. Yeah. I went to the Pete Maravich basketball camp. I've told the story many times, but i got to tell you. My dear friend wrote this amazing book about him, the comedian Wayne Fetterman. Yeah, yeah, of course. Wrote the book on I read Pete it. Fetterman. It's awesome. On Pete Maravich, yeah. Okay. So I'm at uh, Kutcher's uh, Pete Maravich basketball camp, and I'm so excited to be there. I can't sleep, so – I'm up as the sun's coming up, and I'm on the courts just shooting, waiting for my day to begin. I'm like a 12, 13-year-old kid. Oh, man. And all of a sudden, like, there's a glare. I remember it like it happened yesterday. This is like 40 years ago, probably. Yeah. So uh, there's a glare, and I see a person coming toward me, and I don't know who it is, but I know someone is coming onto the court, and I'm thinking it's probably another, you know, uh, kid like me, or maybe it's one of the counselors, and they're they're getting some shots in. And as I see this person through the glare coming closer and closer, I'm like, oh, my God, that's Pete Maravich. No. Way. And I shared a moment. Uh, I don't remember to this. To me, it was hours, but it might have been five minutes. That's the beauty of your memory. I don't. But it was know. just the two of you. It was just the two of us. Oh He's giving me God. individual get out of lessons here. about shooting, and we're just I'm shooting like shaking like a leaf, <laughs> and he's passing the ball again, and he's giving me a couple pointers, and then like that old commercial where uh, Mean Joe Green puts yep. his uh, his arm around the Tosses kid, the jersey, peak. Puts his arm around me and goes, all right, kid, let's go. We, uh, you know, breakfast is uh, starting up and stuff and walks me off the court. And then I, this is my me- where my memory's sketchy again. I don't know if we walked for 10 feet or a half a mile. That's the beauty of a memory like yeah. that. Uh, but we walked for a little bit and that was it. And I never got that individual time no. again because. No one did. It, it's the Pete Maravich basketball camp. That was probably the greatest moment of meeting a hero. Oh, 100%. Yeah, and you've met everyone through the show. Yeah, most of them are assholes, but uh, <laughs> yeah. no, no, that's not true. Well, they're way more self-involved than he was yeah. that day. Yeah, He and, was there for you. And he died in his 40s. It yeah, turns that's out he, crazy. But the crazy part is they're saying he genetic. should have— he, It was a genetic—he was missing uh, uh, an artery right. to his heart. Right. And uh, supposedly he wasn't supposed to live past being a teenager. Yeah. He made it into his 40s and drops dead of a heart attack, I believe, playing uh, pickup basketball. I cried like a baby. I was in Rochester doing radio when my— uh, You lost your shit. I think my dad called me to tell me because he became close with Pete Maravich, uh, Maravich's father, Press. Because my dad was a basketball player, and he he actually was one of the coaches at some of these camps over the years. And right. him and Press uh, kept in touch. So That's pretty amazing. Where my dad gave letters that Press uh, wrote to my dad about Pete Maravich and his uh, knee injury. Wow. Uh, and my dad ended up giving it to the NBA Hall of Fame. Holy crap. Isn't that weird? It's yes. Just so, it's, but it's the truth. Yeah. But that th- th- those are the best. Right. Those are the best. And that moment you had as a 13-year-old with him on that court can't be replaced. No. no. Yeah. No. And I think about it from time to time. Of course. Time to time to this day. Kutcher's because of the Catskills. Maisel. Okay. Uh, Michael Clark Duncan. I didn't forget. Sure. I mentioned, I asked if, you knew, if you're familiar with Per Diem. So it doesn't matter how much big movie stars or little movie stars or tiny movie stars or medium make on a film. Uh, they're all excited about Per Diem because it's a little envelope of cash, or it used to be. And uh, it's separate from your paycheck. Mm-hmm. It's like an allowance. Right. Uh, which is why I made the uh, comparison to, or observation, why actors and actresses act like children sometimes, because that's how we're treated. They, they, put, they, they clothe us. They pick us up and drive us to school or work. They put us in a crib or a trailer. They give us an allowance per diem. 
at any point during the day, you can wave, uh, raise your little hand, and they'll bring you literally whatever Anything. you want. Yep. So when they act like children, try to understand they've been pampered from the moment <laughs> they woke up. Of course. So one night I'm on, on uh, Whole Nine Yards, it's a night shoot. I get out of my trailer. They knock on the door. Hey, we're ready for you on set. I get out of the trailer, and uh, there's a PA production assistant standing there with a manila envelope, and he says, here's your per diem. Sign, sign this, which is a normal thing. And as I'm signing, I hear from behind me the lower tone voice of Michael Clark Duncan, who says, where's my per diem? And um, I turn around, hey, Mike, yeah, where's Mike's per diem? And the PA shits himself and says, uh, like the pimply-faced kid on The Simpsons, well, I'm sorry, Mr. Duncan, we only have, you know, the <laughs> per diem for Mr. Pollock. And, uh, and so I'm saying, well, that, that doesn't make sense. They must have yours somewhere, Mike. And then Mike says, how do we know that's not my per diem and you put his name on it by accident? All right. Well, that's clue number one, that uh, somebody's running for the mayor of crazy town. But uh, I turn around thinking he's joking. He's not. He's pissed. All right. Uh, yeah. Why don't you uh, – you should definitely find Mike's per diem. And he the PA keeps saying they just gave me this one envelope. Um, and so I said, I'm sure they'll figure it out, Mike, and get you your per diem. Let's uh, – Let's get in the tra uh, van and get to the set. Yeah. We jump in the van. We go to set. And uh, he's kind of mumbling to himself. I can't believe they didn't have my per diem. They had your per diem. No. <laughs> and uh, we get to the set. And I go to where where the director chairs are set up and the actors are sitting around. I sit down. And eventually Matthew Perry and Bruce Willis, who are starring in the film, come over and sit down. And we're all shooting the shit. And, um, you know, sometimes you, you're called a set and they're not actually ready for you. So you end up sitting there for a couple minutes. Well, those couple minutes become like a half hour. But we're not really realizing how much time is going by because we're shooting the shit and telling stories and making each other laugh. And then um, the uh, Bruce realizes it's been a half hour. And he turns to his right-hand man, Stephen Eads. They used to be bartenders in New York when they were kids. And he's been his right-hand man all these years, which is amazing to me. And he says, hey, Stevie. And he points to his watch. What the fuck? Stevie says, yeah, I don't know. Stevie runs off, talks to somebody, comes back, says, uh, yeah, there's a delay, there's something going on. And uh, then um, the director comes over. Jonathan Lynn, great British director. He did uh, My Cousin Vinny, a bunch of movies. Uh, sorry, fellas, uh, about the delay. Uh, yeah, so uh, it seems uh, Michael Clark Duncan is uh, not happy. He's... Uh, <laughs> It, he's not going to come straight to work. Uh, Kevin, you, apparently you might know something about this. <laughs> <laughs> now, I hadn't told Matthew or Bruce about the thing back at the trailer camp. So they don't know what he's talking about, and they both look at me, and the director says, apparently, Kevin, you stole his per diem. <laughs> so that's telephone, the yeah, version where yeah, yeah. one story becomes another. Sure. And then I remember Matthew Perry Half jokingly stands up in a fright and says, "You stole his per diem, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. Out of what once. are you insane? <laughs> of course." Um, and then I explained to them and the director what I told you happened back at the trailer. Camp. Yeah, and uh, that's enough for Bruce to stand up out of his seat and say, "This is bullshit. I'm going to get him to come back to work." And I said, "No, no, no. Let let me go talk to him." 
Because if he's already telling the director that I stole this per diem, <laughs> right. clearly the story's changed enough in his own mind. He's convinced himself of something. So I'm the only one who was actually there when this shit went down. Uh, so let me just try to soften things up. Because the director's saying he's not coming back to work. You know, it's the middle of the night. We want to go to work. Yeah. Which means we can go home. So I go across the camp to the set to where Michael's sitting by himself. And he sees me coming, and he kind of shifts in his chair, so he's turning in the opposite direction. And I'm thinking, this is not going to go well. And I go, hey, Mike. <clears throat> he doesn't say much. And I go, hey, listen, um, this thing about the per diem. And then he interrupts me and says, you ought to think twice before taking a man's per diem. <laughs> so, so then I realize, okay, uh, the election's over. He is the mayor of crazy town. He's not only convinced himself when telling others, he's now convinced himself to the point where he's telling the only other eyewitness wow. that I stole his per diem. So I realize, like talking to a drunk, uh, I don't want to have a logical discussion with this guy because that's not going to develop well. Yeah. I'll just pander. And I say, yeah, well, I'm sure they'll figure out the per diem thing. Um, I'm going to tell him to put the envelope that I signed for in your trailer and uh, let's go back to work because uh, the per diem will work out. And uh, We'll figure that out. I'm sorry that this happened, Mike. <laughs> yeah. I didn't apologize for stealing his per diem, <laughs> but I did say I'm sorry this happened. <laughs> this happened. Yeah. I'm trying to think how can I – you know what I mean? You talked to a drunk before. How sure. am I going to get around this? <laughs> I think so, it's sensible what you were trying to do. Because I would just want to go back to work because I ultimately just want to go back to the hotel and go to sleep. That's yeah. really what I want. Yeah, yeah. This is all about my sleep. <laughs> right. So uh, sure enough, he comes back and, spoiler alert, my character dies in uh, Whole Nine Yards. And the scene we're about to shoot is when me and a few people are in this car and they're going to pour gasoline on us and the car and set it on fire. And the first shot up is him, Michael Clark, walking around the trailer with the fake gas in the can and he when he comes around to pouring the gas on me he's shaking that fake gas out onto me like he's trying to kill me with it and it was hilarious and i ruined the first couple takes because i was laughing (laughs) (laughs) now my favorite part if i may sure uh it's uh Two years maybe later, a year and a half later, I'm sitting on a beach in Hawaii. I got my cell phone not too far away because I'm never completely detached from the mothership, even when I'm on vacation. And it's a call from Bruce Willis, who doesn't really call that often. So I take the call, and he says, hey, man, just want to let you know we're doing a secret to the whole nine yards, and everyone's coming back. Uh, I said, great. I don't know if you remember, Bruce, my character died in the first one, so did you call to rub it in? Because uh, there ain't no money like sequel money, right? And uh, he says, "No, no, no! You're going to come back as your character's father, like an 80 year old in prosthetics. This uh, character, Laszlo Gogolak, which ended up being the most fun I've ever had in a comedy role, which I'll tell you about if you want. Yeah. But uh, the movie didn't the whole ten yards turned out horrible, yeah. but the character was the most fun I've had uh, being funny. And so he says, "Yeah, you're coming back." So I said, "Oh shit! Everyone's coming back." And he says, "Yeah, everyone but Mike." That son of a bitch can suck my dick. <laughs> wow. So wow. He fucked himself out of the sequel. Over a per diem. Over that night. And yeah. how much was the per diem? It was probably it's like a couple hundred. Seven hundred dollars, right? Maybe. It was a joke. Oh it was a joke. My God. But, but that's why the publisher called me before my book came out and said, 
You really want that story in there? Yes, the why guy not? just died. Yeah. Which is why I responded, you don't get a pass for that. Yeah. Oh, that's a great story. Yeah. Yeah. Which leads to what I did want to uh, talk about. And you can see it right there. Stand-up comic for 30 years, uh, my friend Kevin Pollack. And in parentheses, I wrote, great storyteller. Because that's what I like about your comedy. The stories. Yes. Yeah, You're yeah. a very good storyteller. Obviously, the impressions. You uh, you don't lean heavy on uh, politics, and it's enjoyable. Mm. Escapism. Right. Yeah. Which we all need more of. Yeah. I uh, I it, listen. At some, I never did joke jokes, um, but, and I always did impressions. But at some point, I started to work with these people. Right. That I was impersonating Nicholson and so yeah, on. Yeah. Alan Arkin and uh, Indian Summer movie. Uh, so when I or I would meet them on a panel on the Tonight Show, right? I remember I was sitting next to Dudley Moore once, and I'd already done my impression of his character Arthur for Carson in previous appearances. And as I was sitting next to Dudley Moore on the fucking panel at Tonight Show, Carson says, "Now, now, Dudley, uh, Kevin does an impression of you. Did you know this?" And uh, and he said, "No, I'd like to hear it." And I said, "I can't do it now." <laughs> <laughs> And uh, so that shit happens, right? So now yeah. I have these first-hand anecdotes yeah. right? of Nicholson uh, on the set uh, and, and all that stuff. And uh, so that became the act. Tell the stories, do the impressions within the story. Mm -hmm. But people want to know what the fuck is happening behind the scenes. And right. I realized I had all these stories from, from these talk show appearances that I started incorporating into the act. Yeah, it's awesome because uh, with political humor, right, we talk about this a lot on the podcast, and I'm starting to tap out because it's like people can't take a joke about their guy. No. And, and you, uh, how many appearances on Carson? Um, Probably 20. No, it's important. Uh, regular on Carson. And we, we bring up Carson every once in a while. You didn't know where he fell politically. Nope. I mean, I would assume Took he... Took shots at both sides. I would assume he was a lefty, but that's my point. He would take shots at both sides. Now these late-night guys barely take shots at, at both sides. Right. And if they are taking a shot at Trump, then all the Trump supporters are like, ah, oh, they can't handle the jokes about their guy. Yeah. Was it always like that, you think, or, or did something change in society? Uh, I think everything has changed in society, first well, of all. that's true, yeah. First Good of point. all, but also... But I mean, as far as political humor, you think there was a time where... I'll tell you what, back in the day, to answer your question, 70s and 80s, political comedians were far and few. And they often took shots at both sides, but some of them, like the first original one I can think of was Mort Saul. Yeah. He was definitely a lefty, but oh, he yeah. still made fun of the Kennedys. Yeah. Right? Um, but he painted them as those rich people. Yeah. Right? Uh, instead of arguing about their political decisions, I think that's the thing that changed. Right. Um, <laughs> people's hatred is much more specific now <laughs> to moments in time and decisions that are being made. Um, uh, so, yeah, I, I, but, but listen, we're, we have a little bit, regardless of what side of things you fall on right now, we have a, something going on in the White House that's just for no other reason, historically speaking, has never happened before, where a uh, real estate mogul and, and, and reality TV star is president. You know, you just say those words and the jokes start to write themselves. So it doesn't Thank matter. You. It doesn't matter if you like him yeah. or believe in what he believes yeah. or you're happy that racism is allowed again. Yeah. Um, what, yeah. What, what's obvious is... There's something weird going on. Yeah. Right. So so the 
the left side has to figure out a way to articulate it that just doesn't sound like a mad person ranting. And the right side needs to figure out how to make fun of themselves, yes. right? And that, and I'm not sure anyone can do that organically. Not anymore. Not anymore. I think it's very important to make fun of yourself. Oh, God, yes. I think it's incredibly important. And we lost that somewhere along the way. Yeah. Uh, and when you talk about political humor, now you got me going on something else really fast. Carol O'Connor. Oh, man. So One of the greatest sitcom characters ever. Hated everyone. And he was a liberal in real life. But oh, when The actor was. Yes. Right. Carol O'Connor was a liberal playing yes. Archie Bunker as this hardcore right winger. Who hated everyone. Uh, but people don't understand that fully. So when they saw Carol O'Connor, they want to hug him like he was one of them. Oh, sure. And right. but the reality is most people did not know that he was actually a, a hardcore lefty. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That, Can you imagine that? <laughs> no, that must have driven him insane. Especially in a day when you didn't have social media and you could explain your point of view uh, like we can today. Back then, you got your articles here and there in an interview every once in a while, but... Yeah, back then, no one had an opinion that was no. known. So he went through life uh, with a lot of people thinking he was this right winger. And also just hugging character. him, hugging him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank you for hating these people. <laughs> yes. I do too. Right. Yeah, yeah. That must have, that must, well, probably made him laugh at first and eventually drove him insane. I think so. Yep. I think that was tough to uh, that makes sense to to live with. But um, the th uh, what was it? Gonna oh oh oh. So impressions. Yeah. I didn't I didn't ask you to do walking and all that, and that's okay. <laughs> I'll do whatever you want. No, but I do have a. I, I I like I said, I was brushing up on you a little bit, and uh, part of your stand up, you you teach people how to do Jason uh, Statham. Yeah. Did I not do that on the show I back in the day? I don't think so. Huh. Uh, well, your your fans will tell us both. Uh, that's okay. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, we got a newer audience here though too. Good. I'm finding out I got uh, an audience that knows of ONA, but not necessarily listen to ONA. Not all of them, but right. there's definitely a percentage in Like in you've heard of Game of Thrones, but you don't necessarily <laughs> know Game of Thrones. <laughs> you know go. what the dragons look like. <laughs> but, uh, I can't yeah. tell you what it means. Yeah, so they yeah. think I'm an asshole and didn't contribute much to ONA. Uh -oh. Yes, yeah, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, I'm a little more than that, people, you idiots. When the <laughs> Sorry. No, yeah, it's called the now internet. Now fighting with him. It's uh, called the internet. Imaginary people. Do some research. Yeah. Uh, when I had the book out, I did the the book tour, right? So you're doing the, I'm doing the morning talk shows. And I, I find myself following Jason Statham on these talk shows. They would have him on, then they would have me on. It makes sense. He was on all these talk shows because he had a new movie out because he hadn't had a new movie out in about six weeks. <laughs> It'll take a little shot. I like it. And He would laugh at that, by the way. He would. Oh, you've had him on the show. I guess. love Jason Statham. So I do, too. So after he would go finish his part of the show and I would come on, invariably the host or hostess would know that I did impersonations, and they would say, Jason Statham was just here. You must do a good Jason Statham. And I hadn't worked on a Jason Statham. And you can only hear that so many times before you start feeling like an asshole. Yeah. So I had to teach myself how to do Jason Statham. And then on the Today Show, I just brought it up. I can do Jason Statham. <laughs> he wasn't even on the show. I just brought it up. Did you just surprise yourself? <laughs> yes. Like, wait a minute. I don't know if I could do him. <laughs> so, well, I'd worked on it. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Yeah, yeah, no. So, so I did it, but I instantly started worrying that I had done it in public on the Today Show, a very public profile, that now I was going to get that phone call at 4 o'clock in the morning. Do you know who I am? <laughs> Do you fucking know who I am? What did I tell you, mate? I'm, gonna, I'm the bloke that's going to rip out your little fucking heart. Do you know what I mean? Do you fucking know what I mean? So 
Wow. And that's a shit phone call that I don't want. Wow. <laughs> your guests are going to think you dropped that in. Wow. That no one sat here For in front real. of you and did that. <laughs> I know you're good at this. Wow. Well, wow, that is good. It's nice when you're amplified like this and with headphones on. Yeah. So I realized when doing that, right, that uh, he, in, in teaching other people how to do the Jason Statham impression, he says six words in a row, right? So I imagined a scene... Uh, if I put you in that chair, you'd be dead in three seconds. Do you mean? Do you fucking know what I mean? The six words he says in a row are, do you know what I mean? Which he says as, do you mean? <laughs> he reduces six words to two syllables. Do you mean? The word, the name Joe and the word mean, gruff up your voice. Do you mean? You've just done Jason Statham. Man, is that great. You're welcome. Do you mean? <laughs> yeah. I almost had it. Joe Mean. Joe Mean. Joe Mean. Joe Mean. Yeah. <laughs> You're done. Uh, wow, you got that's it. great. Yeah, um, and before Liam Neeson became everyone's favorite target, I, I, I stumbled across this Liam Neeson impression. Hadn't thought about doing him. Uh, I should have done him. I mean, he's an action star in his 60s. That's reason enough to do with somebody. <laughs> but... Uh, I was sent to the grocery store to buy some items, and while I'm driving to the grocery store, uh, I start trying to remember the items, because as a man, of course, I hadn't written down the items. Yeah. And I'm trying to remember the items, and one of them in particular popped into my brain, and I said it out loud into the rearview mirror while I was driving as Liam Neeson. It's inexplicable because I hadn't thought about doing him prior. I just looked into the rearview mirror and said, bananas. <laughs> Now, I don't remember if I ever saw <laughs> Liam Neeson in a movie say bananas, <laughs> right? but it happened, and now all I can do is picture him at an IHOP. What would you like on your waffle, Mr. Neeson? Bananas. <laughs> Go. I will find you. So uh, that's just a bizarro thing that actually happened. Yeah. And then when I told friends about it, they laughed like you did, and I thought, I'll put that in the act. Yeah. So that's funny. how it all sort of... The act uh, either uh, continues to grow or stagnates because I come across these great stories, yeah. and it's all I want to do is tell these stories. I'll tell you one thing. Uh, Liam Neeson used to walk around the neighborhood. Um, not a Jew, I don't think. Uh, not a Jew. Um, scary. Uh, you know, I, I live on the Upper West Side. There's a lot of celebrities you run into, like Bruce Willis at the diner, not approachable. Isn't Hank Azaria up there now? Uh, I haven't seen him. I think he's up there. I've seen Liam Neeson, okay. not approachable. Know who says, don't you dare look at me? Wow. It is Rick Moranis. Rick Moranis <laughs> goes, yup, I'm Rick Moranis. Because, you know, you'll look, you know, I'm sure you, even though you're a big star, Kevin, I'm sure you still look. I see him coming my way. I'm like, oh, there's Rick Moranis again. And he always looks at me like, don't you dare. Yes, I'm Rick Moranis, but don't say hi. Right. He is not approachable. You pick up a vibe. Yes. Is what you're saying. Dustin Hoffman walks around uh, in the neighborhood every once in a while. Completely clueless, looking up in the sky like this, like he's looking for an address, like on the second story. Yeah, with flowers in his hand. I'll always remember he had flowers in his hand, looking for an address. But he was looking <laughs> on the second story for an address. These are the little uh, highs. Little things. And then you got the uh, really famous people like Yoko Ono. When sure. She used to walk around. Now rumor has it she's more in a wheelchair. I haven't seen her as much. She uh, she draws a crowd where people follow her casually for blocks. Right. Casually. Like, they're about a half a block away, make them believe, no, I'm just happy to be walking this way. But all of a sudden, there's like 50 people. Like, oh, you're all just happy to be walking. What is that? 
Because I, I, I have it too. What is that in all of us that we see someone incredibly famous and we want to stop our lives and and just stare or pursue them in a way of uh, curiosity? It's like, I don't know, being at the zoo when there's a great white shark or something. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what it is, but uh, I do it still, yeah. Yeah. Keanu Reeves is another one they follow. Sure. They come out of stores. I only saw him once, so I, I can't over, you know, some of these uh, stars I've only seen once in the hood. But, uh, yeah, some of them approachable and some not. Right. And really fast, so who do you, uh, you mentioned Bobby Slayton in there. Love him. Who else did you come up with? Did Dana Carvey. Up? It was Dana. Dana and... Carvey and I uh, in the late 70s, San Francisco. Right. Uh, and because we both did impersonations and voices, uh, people told us both, you guys would be great on Saturday Night Live. You know, we were kids in the early 20s. And then he got Saturday Night Live, and then six months later, I got Avalon and became a dramatic actor, and our right. careers went in completely separate Were paths. you hoping to get SNL at that time? Absolutely, of course. I mean, every every comedian who did characters and impressions, I mean, it was the natural place to be. And um, there was one year where I was considered early on. In fact, it was the year that um, Dana had just got the show, and they were looking to add one more male cast member. And as I was told, it came down to me, Jim Carrey, and Kevin Nealon. And they needed kind of a straight man. Uh, they already had Phil Hartman and Carvey who did voices and impressions. So Jim Carrey and I made a lot less sense. Right. Uh, and so, and Kevin Nealon was great on the show. He's always been great. He's great at everything. So dry. But so dry. So yeah. If you don't Beautifully get, dry. I love it. If you, but so, if you don't get that dry yep. humor, and man. he doesn't wait for you to catch up. No. <laughs> yeah, I love him. I love so him So anyways, too. that's as close as I ever got. But again, because I got Avalon... Uh, my career made this left turn that I was not planning. Right. And, and the, being a dramatic actor was just never the plan, ever. Right. I didn't train to be an actor. Right. I was a comedian. I saw Michael Keaton in Night Shift, and I went, Love that movie. that's what I want to do. Right. That If I'm going to be in movies, that guy. Now, here's a good story about Michael Keaton in Night Shift that Ron Howard told me. Uh, uh, when we were doing Willow, which is just announced that Disney Plus may be doing as a series. I heard. All these years later. Um we're doing Willow and Ron Howard. I tell him I love Night Shift, what he directed, and Michael Keaton was the poster boy for here's how you're going to be a, an actor in movies as a comedian. He said the first week or two of dailies, the studio would look at dailies, which is the film, the, the, the day's work you shot, and then the next day it would come out that you could see it, uh, and you would watch it before the editor tried to put it together, and the studio was checking up on it, and they were watching dailies. And they called him for the first two weeks and, and begged him to fire Michael Keaton. Begged him. This guy's all over the place. Yeah. What's happening? Why, why does he talk that way? <laughs> yeah. Why is his character talking to himself? He shoots, he scores. Ah. Yeah. You know, what, what's happening? <laughs> right. what, none of that's in the script. Why is it? And, and Ron just laughed so hard because he really did have to convince them to stick with it. Uh, that, and so, yeah. That's amazing. A little sidebar. I like that a lot. Um, billions. Yeah. Another thing I was brushing up on, you were you were just hanging out at a premiere, right? Or an after party? Yeah. Get back to Tom Cruise. Uh, it was the last Mission Impossible movie. Right. Uh, which one of my favorite movies of the year, by the way. Man, I loved it. Uh, so Chris McQuarrie, the punk 25-year-old who wrote The Usual Suspects and won an Oscar at 26 for writing it, wrote and directed the last two Mission Impossible movies. So I was in New York... Uh, I think on Maisel, and uh, found that they were doing this little screening at the at the Museum of Modern Art, and there was a little tiny gathering afterwards in the bar at the museum, and it was me, 
and him and a couple friends. Uh, the Clintons were there for some reason. And, um, and uh, these two guys are sort of huddling over on the side. And then they approach and they introduce themselves as the creators of Billions. Uh, uh, Brian and David. And, and they, they wrote Rounders and they wrote these movies. So we're shooting the shit. And then they look at each other and huddle again, and then they come back to me and say, there's actually this character we just broke for the next season in the writer's room, and you're kind of perfect for it, and would you do this? And at that point, I'd not seen a frame of the TV show. And I said, a couple guys in my poker game, every week, it won't shut up about the new fucking episode. <laughs> so maybe I'll do it just for them <laughs> and for you, because you seem like nice guys. And we talk poker till we pass out, and uh, and um, you know some some outline of what the hell this character is, right. and and it ended up working out. And they, um, I started watching the show and instantly loved it. And uh, so yeah, that's how that came that's about. A, that's awesome. It's crazy. Now uh, I don't know if I hadn't been in their face at that that's af what, after that's gathering. That's why I'm bringing it up. Oh, I'll tell you, this has happened. You talk about stuff you might have regretted or this right. or that. Right place, right time. It's, Cannot it's say enough about it's it. It's a real thing. It's not only a real thing. In my case, it's everything. Yeah, that's why I brought it up. Uh, uh, did you get to talk to Bill Clinton? Yeah. So uh, this would be, when did MI5 or 6? Which one was it? The Mission Impossible movie. Uh, was it last summer it came out? So whenever that was, let's say it was at least eight, ten months ago. Probably more. And I remember I'd, I'd met Bill at previous uh, Clinton Foundation poker charity tournaments. And he was a fan. He knows everything about show business. And um, there's a story about him in the book when I first met him. Uh, and so we were saying hello. And people instantly, like 10 months ago, a year ago, are asking him, you know, what's your take on the current president? Because... As outraged as non-fans of the president are, it dawned on me as a comedian, no one could be more outraged than a past president <laughs> <Of course. laughs> for what's happened to that job. Of course. Whether you are a fan or not, <laughs> you have to admit I agree, the but job be has people out there changed. Like, what are you talking about, Kevin? Yeah. <laughs> well, you could think it you changed for the better. Snowflake. Yeah. You can think it changed for the better. You can be a good fan. observation. You can be a fan of the president and think it's all changed for the yeah, better. Yeah. Fine. But you have to admit it's different. It's a little different. It's different. Yes. You can think it's different for the best. Yeah. But please admit that it's different. So yeah. if you're a past president who took pride in doing things a certain way. So anyways, I wanted his take uh, from that perspective. And he said, you know, Kevin, I was just talking to, uh, to uh, George uh, Sr. And... Uh, I want his perspective. You know, he's he's 94, whatever he was at the time. He's 94, and uh, he said, you know what, Bill? I just want to still be alive when they walk him out. Wow. I know. I know. Wow. <laughs> that was a perspective I hadn't considered. Wow. But it was what I wanted, which is what is the, a former president's perspective of what's happened yeah. in the current administration. I just want to be alive when they walk wow. him out. That's a perfect interaction to have with an ex-president. I, I actually got a picture with uh, President Clinton uh -huh. that I can't put in my house because it's with my ex-girlfriends in the picture. You can't, I, you can't pull I, her I've out? Had, I've had people try to Photoshop it for years, and it still doesn't work. 
Because he wanted his arm around her. And your arm is what? Up her? Working I, her I like a puppet? I, I mean, why is it, it you can't- It just doesn't work. You can't, you can't crop her out. I can't crop it out in a way- She's in between you. Uh, no, I think she's on the end. Like, uh, Bill's in the middle. But uh, oh, but okay. he was leaning because, you know- Oh, sure, because she's he, a woman. He, yes, <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. she's a woman. That's yeah. all you need. And the story but goes- can, that, I, can I put a little caption in the moment the photo was taken? Yeah. While the three of you are standing yeah. there and he's in the middle? Yeah. This is what he's saying to her. Yeah. That's him grabbing your ass, not me. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. I swear to God. But, but that story's pretty good. It was the book review in Huntington. He was do, doing a book signing, and yeah. I lived in Huntington at yeah. the time. And I'm walking, because everyone knew Clinton was coming to town. It's a relatively small town along sure. And I, I'm peeking around and looking, and like, oh, wow, and it's just a mob scene with ropes. You can't get near them unless you have a book, and you're in the store. He's and got Secret a, Service. It, all that. And it's an, it's, uh, he wasn't president at this point. I don't Doesn't think. matter. You get it for yeah, life. Yeah. And uh, it was in the alley. Yeah. And I'm kind of taking a peek, like, you know, and I get recognized by one of the cops that is on the detail. Yes. And I go, he's a huge fan of uh, Opie yeah. and Anthony at the time. And I go, oh, you, you think I could get a picture with Clinton? I, I, I'm like, like, just shooting now right he goes i don't know I, I think so but at the very least i could get you you know uh, through these ropes and, and and not with all these people now i'm in just the alleyway on this at the side door waiting for the clinton to come out and i don't have a camera it's before our smartphones wow i'm like i don't have a camera he is a canine cop he goes i think i got one he opens up his trunk get the fuck out of here he's got a portable camera that has dog hair on it ah. and he goes i think this will work i don't know though Long story short, Clinton comes out. He asked the president, like, uh, could you take one more picture with these uh, people? They're, you know, friends of mine or whatever he said. And long story short, we got the picture. Now I run right to the Photoshop because you had to do that back then. Sure. I, could, I, I couldn't put it on a computer. No, we had just invented fire. And then I'm like, how uh, how long will this take, you know, Rush? <laughs> and like a couple hours. So we, I, I'm nervously walking around Huntington because this is my only shot I'll ever have with a with – a, I know you got to go. No, no, with, no. With a, I'm taking a picture of you while you're telling the story. <laughs> <laughs> With the president. Yeah. and Because if I may, yeah, th you just touched upon what I hadn't articulated, uh, which is the best part of show business. Yeah. Membership has its privileges. Yes. If no matter where you are in the pecking order. Yeah. It doesn't matter whether you work for a living as a face or not. Right. If someone uh, in a position of authority recognizes oh. you, whether it's a table at a restaurant whether it's a canine cop getting you through a rope to meet a former president. Right. That, in a heartbeat, in a, in a you know, capsule, yeah. is the best thing about show. Absolutely. Yeah. And long story short, picture came out, but my ex is in it. And at the time, I, me and I think my ex, too, knew we weren't going to be going out much longer. <laughs> you couldn't negotiate, huh? Can uh, you stand down for uh, this no, photo? Of course. I've, I've done that in the past, but... Uh, this is the thing I did want to say when I had that little uh, brain fart. You got to bring back the chat show, and I know why you you got rid of it. The Kevin Pollock chat show. Ten Be years, four hundred episodes. I understand all that, but I know you enjoyed it, and you got too busy to continue it. It's That's obvious. exactly right. No, I had to have guest hosts come but, in. But it, for the people uh, I, uh, that haven't watched it, Kevin Pollock's chat show is it's, amazing. Yeah, there's probably I went to just audio about a, a year before I quit, so there's still three hundred and fifty episodes on YouTube. Uh, it's long form one on one conversation, so it's a couple of hours with yeah. Seth MacFarlane, or you know, the list goes on. It's you know, Elon Musk before 
Joe Rogan and blah blah blah. Well, you're. Uh, I was going to mention that. When, the reason why I'm bringing this up, and I, I'm, I'm sorry. That's all right. You're kind of a pioneer to this because you ten start, years ago. You did it ten years ago. Now everyone and their mother has a podcast. Here, here's hilarious thing. Uh, uh, ten years ago, in 2009, I had to explain to people what, what a, a podcast was. Wow. There were, of all podcasts, not broken down into categories as they are now on iTunes. All podcasts, maybe thirty. Yeah. 30? Yeah. I was told recently there are over 600,000. Oh, yeah. This is not <laughs> easy. So, so when I was doing stand-up mm, 20 years ago, uh, comedians started selling merch out in the lobby after the show. And when I would go to a club as a headliner, they'd say, hey, listen, uh, the middle act wants to sell T-shirts, but he doesn't want to step on your stuff. So... You know, would it be all right if the middle act sold T-shirts? And I thought, ah, oh, we're in a world now where the middle act has a T-shirt. That's terrific. <laughs> Absolutely. Let him sell whatever he can. And then a couple years later, listen, the MC's got, <laughs> he's got a CD. And CD? He's, he's got, got 10 got, minutes of material. What are you talking about? He came up with a phrase with his yeah. friends. He's, and got, he's got, got a catchphrase. Right. Hey, these are my balls. And he just, if there's any way, he, right. he won't, he won't, he won't be uh, ahead of you. As people come out of the lobby, they'll see you first. So I liken that to the podcast world because now if you go out as a headliner, the middle act's got a podcast, the MC's got a podcast, and it makes sense. If you want to get yourself out there, you never know what kind of podcast is yeah. going to blow up, right? Yeah. It helps if you come into it with a fan base, as you did. Uh, that's certainly how Adam Carolla made the biggest move, sure. right? Uh, but yes, 10 years ago, it was before Marin. It was uh, – but, you know – as I ran into uh, Chris Hardwick, uh, another uh, industry built from a podcast. The Nerdist. The Nerdist. When I ran into him at the Endgame uh, premiere, he said, I heard you stopped doing the chat show. People love that thing. And I said, Chris, listen, I've been doing it 10 years. If you haven't built an industry out of your podcast like you and others have, maybe I got to let it go. Yeah. Honestly. And he laughed and I said, my problem was I got... I was busy doing other things the whole time. Right. I didn't devote my life to it, which in order to compete, you know, you have to you have to do that. Yeah. So it was a great run. Who knows? If I'll I, you never say never. Listen, I'm gainfully employed right now. The moment I'm not gainfully employed again, which is inevitable, uh, I'm sure I'll come <laughs> back to it in a heartbeat Good. because I enjoyed doing it. Yeah. Absolutely. And I'll I'll probably do special editions. Um, the very last two we did live on stage with uh, Jim Jeffries and Pamela Adlon separately uh, as 399 or 400 numbers uh, on the episodes. Uh, and that was incredibly fun. Um, listen, you know how it is. You sit and shoot the shit for a couple hours before you know what the time flies by and it's a blast. I, I mean, I'm hoping this grows, but if it doesn't, I'm just having a good time, man. Yeah. I'm just having fun again. I haven't had this much fun in years. Which the other... Uh, nutshell about show business yeah at some point that i was very lucky i think it was on a few good men rob reiner yelled it in my face if you're not having fun what's the point right uh yeah yeah, yeah. And we get to a certain age where, and i'm older than you but still we're at an age like i'm not getting out of bed unless it's fun of course yeah i'm of not course. getting out of the house that's for sure of course whether it's allergies or not <laughs> i'm not getting out of the house well thanks for coming out of the house because i was really looking forward to this i know we tried to do it a couple times in my schedule with the show shooting in new york yeah um, I, 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 uh, as soon as I'm done working, I get on a plane and go home. Yeah. So I'm not, I'm not usually just hanging out. Let me, let me say this. Uh, All right. Since my star has kind of dropped a bit, 
you, you find out who the real people are out there. Your real friends, uh, yeah. all that, and I—that's I, why I asked that question earlier about now that uh, your your star is a bit higher than it, it has been. Again. You're hearing from people again. Of course, it was the opposite for me. I'm like, I'm like you too. Like you, j- it was amazing how many people split as soon as I I lost that big uh, that big platform. Yeah. I'm like I was the, just the guy in the seat. Holy shit! It is weird because not it, for everybody, and that's my point here. And uh, you're one of those guys that uh, it didn't matter if I was doing the Opie and Anthony show or this podcast. We always keep in touch here and there, and you're always yeah. thinking about me, and I'm thinking about you. And and I, I I I'm here to say I appreciate the hell out of you for that. Oh man, you're a stand up guy, Kevin Pollock. Well, listen, sitting down, I will say thank you, and uh, it was easy. It was easy because you know. We, we we were just having fun right. always on the show. Right. And, um, you know, you and I, we've met everybody at this point. Right. And you realize what an acquaintance is, what a passing ship is. Right. And you realize when you're actually talking and connect with somebody right. that a friendship can form. Yeah. And even if we don't see each other that often, you text me, I text you yeah. out of the blue. It's, you know what? It's the same as Tom Cruise. Of course. You oh, text wow. me any fucking thank, time, buddy. Thank you, buddy. You're somebody I worked with. Thank you. And I, I'll say this. Even my hair cutter. Yes. Even my hair cutter turned into an idiot. Oh, no. And an asshole. I'm like, what? Really? Cause oh, I, no. Because I don't come in with great stories anymore for You're you? You're a famous guy. He cut hair. That's right. That's right. So, my God. Anyway, congrats on all the success. You'll be in town for a little bit uh, more filming. Uh, all through the summer, we'll be back and forth shooting season three wow. of, of uh, The Amazing Mrs. Matza. Uh, <laughs> Could you wrap up this podcast as Jason Statham? Uh, I, I usually wrap it up by saying wrap it up Joey so if you could just anything but end with wrap it up Joey as okay. Jason Statham uh, yeah wrap it up Joey do me <laughs> thank you Kevin don't forget to leave a five star review at Apple Podcasts share this episode with a friend check out opradio.com for hats t-shirts you can get a Ruizing hat there by the way we'll leave a link for Mr. Pollock's book in our show notes and I can't wait for season three of the amazing Mrs. Matza That's a great show, and you are one of the highlights of that show, Kevin Pollack. One of the few I actually watch. Joey Salvia here, thanking you once again for downloading, subscribing, and listening to Opie Radio.